Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It's about five months now to the presidential election in America. And increasingly, the conversation is about the veracity, the honesty, perhaps even the viability of the election. Uh, This is a particularly important subject, given all the question marks about the election in 2016, particularly the Russian supposed, quote unquote, involvement in that. Uh, David Scheimer is uh, the author of an extremely important new book called Rigged, which is a history, a short, uh, well, not a short, actually, a, a very impressively researched history of the way in which uh, the Russians uh, have been interfering in American elections uh, for more than a century. The the subtitle of Rigged is America, Russia, and 100 Years of Covert Electoral Interference. Uh, David Scheimer is a a graduate student, embarrassingly young, at Oxford University. He's just finishing his PhD, and he Unlike so many other grad students, he's actually turned his detailed research into a a mainstream uh, book, which I think is going to land with a big splash. Uh, David, let's get into the details of Rigged. Um, Let's go back to 2016. You talked to a lot of people about Russian interference in that election. How corrupt was 2016 when it came to the Russian involvement? Sure. So, well, first of all, thank you very much for for having me. And I would say that that Russian interference in the 2016 election um, is factually speaking was sweeping, systemic, um, and really a, a massive operation to interfere in the election. You saw Russian military intelligence officers um, scan and penetrate voting systems all over the country, um, which the Obama administration was aware of, um, at least somewhat in real time. Um, You saw, again, Russian military intelligence hack and release emails belonging to both the Democratic National Committee and John Podesta, the chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign. And you saw something called the Internet Research Agency, which is a troll farm in St. Petersburg, um, spread social media uh, uh, propaganda across, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Um, in order to reach what ended up being over 100 million Americans with propaganda aligned with their objectives, which were to help Donald Trump hurt Hillary Clinton, and above all, to sow discord, chaos, um, and discontent. So Russia's operation was sprawling. um, But something that I also write about in my book was it also marked a natural continuation of past practices. Um, Little about what Russia did was original, but what Putin accomplished was using the internet to reach even more people, even more precisely, um, across a rather short period of time. One of the surprising, uh, perhaps even shocking things about your book is the way in which, at least in your narrative, uh, the Obama administration knew exactly what was going on. Is that fair? 
So it, 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 it's somewhat fair. I would say that what the Obama administration knew at the time was two of the three things that I just said. The Obama administration was well aware that Russia was behind the hack and release of Democratic Party emails. The Obama administration was also aware that Russia was inside um, parts of our nation's electoral infrastructure. The third prong involving social media manipulation was very poorly misunderstood. Um, within um, the White House in the summer and fall of 2016. And as a result, President Obama's response to Russia's operation in real time was really based on those first two things, which was the email releases and whether Russia would proceed, escalate toward actually disrupting the voting process and manipulating voter tallies or voter rolls, which is something that the Obama, Obama administration feared that Russia actually did have the capability to do, which is why in secret on election day itself, the White House and the Department of Homeland Security had crisis teams set up awaiting a Russian cyber attack against our electoral infrastructure. Your book details the history of Russian interference, uh, which, as you say, goes uh, a century back, certainly many years before 2016. But let's talk a little bit more about Russian motivation behind 2016. Uh, are the Russians just in the business of causing chaos, of undermining American democracy? Or was there an ideological element to their support for Donald Trump? And indeed, is it even fair to say that they were supporting Donald Trump? Sure. So it's, so it's absolutely fair to say that they were supporting Donald Trump. But it's also important to recognize that Russian interference in our elections did not start with Donald Trump and will not end with Donald Trump. Russia's operation in 2016 actually started in 2014, um, before Donald Trump had even announced his campaign. And something I reveal in my book is that Russia had planned to continue undermining Hillary Clinton after she won the presidential election, which is what the Kremlin believed was going to happen. So this wasn't just about Trump. The overarching objective here, as you said, is to undermine American democracy, to sow chaos in American democracy, and to showcase to the world how dysfunctional the democratic process can actually be. Donald Trump is a means to achieving that end because of his chaotic, disruptive, um, and in many ways undemocratic behavior. Um, but the overarching objective here stretches well beyond him. You know, I spent a really clarifying moment for me was when I spent about five hours with a former KGB general um, interviewing him about operations he executed in the United States. And what he told me was that his number one goal was to sow discord, sow chaos, and to showcase to the world that American democracy was flawed and unenviable. That remains the Russian objective today. And that is what Putin is seeking to accomplish in sowing chaos within our democracy during our, our electoral processes. Is undermining American democracy uh, a particular goal in Russian disinformation strategy, or is it just part of a broad effort to undermine all Western democracies? Uh, we know that the Russians were also involved in the Brexit vote uh, and in many other elections in Western and, and, and Central and Eastern Europe. Sure. So, so it stretches well beyond America. You're absolutely right. This is a global strategy. And in terms of ideolo ideology, which you'd asked about previously, 
What Putin has done is he's removed ideology from the equation. Because what I write about in the in my book regarding the Cold War is that Soviet intelligence supported communist candidates in elections all over the world. The idea was to support um, candidates who aligned with, with the Soviet Union's preferred ideology. And the idea was that once those candidates were in power, they might then undo their democracies from within, as happened across Eastern Europe in the immediate post-war period. What Putin's done is said, I'm not going to just support communists. What I care about is tearing down, undermining, disrupting, and corrupting democracy as an end in itself. So all over the world, you've seen Putin support far-right candidates, far-left candidates, disruptive candidates, authoritarian-minded candidates. It doesn't matter so long as they help him in his objective of dividing democracies from one another, of sowing discord within democracies themselves, because from his perspective, that advances Russia's interests and advances Russia's relative power um, compared to both the United States, but also regarding the, the, the global order generally. We've had Peter Pomerantsev on this show, who's an expert on Russian disinformation. He argues, it seems, that this is essentially the ideology of Putinism. It's a kind of nihilism, a destructive way. They, they don't believe in anything except undermining other systems. Is that fair? What does, this, what does your work, your research, your book tell us about the quote-unquote ideology of Putinism? So, so I think the best way to think about Putinism isn't um, along ideological lines. It's along lines related to power. Um, and what Vladimir Putin cares about is first and foremost maintaining his own power, uh, making sure that domestically there isn't some sort of popular revolution that topples his regime as a result of his rampant corruption um, and as a result of the fact that he's remained in power for far longer than um, he had initially um, pretended. Um, and the second objective of Putin is to increase Russia's power abroad. And what Russian leaders have long believed and that he has gone to actually execute is that when democracies are aligned and when democracies are functioning as liberal, healthy democracies, Russia's power um, decreases. So in terms of what Putinism is, it's maintaining power at home while benefiting himself and his, and his inner circle, while also seeking to disrupt other democracies and therefore increase Russia's influence abroad. Again, he doesn't care if he's supporting someone on the far left, like Bernie Sanders, who, you know, according to the U.S. intelligence community, Russia was seeking to support, or if he's supporting Donald Trump, um, someone who is a right-wing um, populist, the point here is to support folks who will corrupt and disrupt their democracies, which is why he is supporting Donald Trump and has been now for, for five years. Uh, you say he, we're talking about Putin. We're well, talking about Vladimir Putin. Is this something that he regularly, in, in, in your mind and your research, is this something he regularly discusses? Does he have a, a group of advisors or a committee focused on this? So it's impossible to say. What, what we know is that Vladimir Putin was personally overseeing um, Russia's 2016 operation to interfere in America's election. That's something that folks like Jim Clapper and John Brennan and others who I was able to interview made very clear. Um, and I mean, the important thing to remember here about Vladimir Putin, it's, it's often thrown out there. Oh, he was in the KGB. He, he was, he's a KGB agent, et cetera. And, 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 and in this specific respect, that actually matters because the, the KGB's tradition was to interfere in elections all over the world. 
um, with propaganda, with disinformation, by altering vote counts, methods, tactics that exactly mirror what Russia is doing, not only to the United States, but to democracies all over the world today. So Putin is continuing and furthering that tradition, and he's surrounded by like-minded individuals who also have those same formative experiences. So I can't tell you that Vladimir Putin, you know, has a 9 a.m. morning meeting where he regularly discusses how to interfere in elections overseas. But given his background and given his personal involvement in the operation to interfere in America's election, I think we can say with a pretty high degree of confidence that this is, in fact, a a priority, um, not only of his administration, but of his personally. And how do you think they view Trump or how does Putin view Trump as a as a as a useful idiot? Um, I I think the primary the primary appeal of Trump um, is that he is so disruptive um, so opts for inclusion, for exclusion over inclusion, for, you know, nationalism over internationalism, um, for undermining the rule of law, for sowing racial discord, things that from Russia's perspective have been their objectives for the United States for decades. Um, the KGB would regularly seek to sow racial discord in the United States to play upon pre-existing fissures and divisions in order to show the world that America was actually just as the KGB general I interviewed put it to me, a quote, hotbed of hate. And I think what Donald Trump helps Putin do is degrade American democracy um, in furtherance of Russia's foreign policy objectives. Because, you know, it's often discussed, will Trump, you know, take America out of NATO or take some sort of big step that would benefit Russia abroad. But the way the American system works, of uh, American system of governance is that there are checks and balances on what Trump can actually do regarding our foreign policy to a large extent. But domestically, Donald Trump has immense agency um, in sowing the type of discord that Putin um, would like to see in the United States. Let's fast forward, David, uh, five months to the 2020 election in November. What are the Russians planning? So I'd say I'm watching for a couple of things between now and Election Day um, regarding Russia. The, The first key outstanding question is how between now and November, Russia will seek to manipulate the minds of voters, which is one key way to interfere in an election. In 2016, that was with hacked emails and tweets. Uh, you know, social media manipulation. But there's but those tactics are constantly evolving. They have been for decades. They'll continue to evolve. So the question is, how will Russia seek to covertly manipulate American voters um, to behave in a way that aligns with Russia's interests? The second key question is whether on Election Day itself, Russia will choose to escalate its operation toward disrupting the, the voting process, toward manipulating our voting systems. That's something that Putin opted against doing in 2016 based on the available evidence. It's what President Obama sought to prevent Russia from doing four years ago to this day. Um, but the third, therefore, key outstanding question is how Putin's um, mindset will evolve now that Donald Trump is president rather than Barack Obama, because whereas President Obama did seek to prevent Russian interference and he struggled to do so, but that was his aim. Donald Trump is someone who has solicited and invited foreign interference in our elections, which might give Putin less pause in deciding whether to escalate his operation um, against America. And the third and the final outstanding question is in a hypothetical universe in which Joe Biden wins the election, it remains to be seen what Russia's contingency plan is, how Russia intends to continue interfering in our politics. Because as I mentioned, Russia did intend 
to continue interfering um, in our electoral processes to undermine Hillary Clinton had she won the election in 2016. This problem will not go away if Donald Trump were to lose, and it remains to be seen what Russia intends to do to continue undermining our democracy um, and undermining um, the legitimacy um, of a hypothetical Biden victory, which could be accomplished either with propaganda or by um, sabotaging voting systems themselves. I presume the stakes are actually higher for Putin in 2020 than they were in 2016. In 2016, they 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 took a gamble, uh, a, probably a fairly in their mind distant gamble on Trump, and they won. But if Biden's elected, won't the issue of Russia and Russian interference and the Russian corruption of the democratic system in America, won't that become one of the primary elements in a, in a new Biden administration? So I, I think that's right. Um, I, I think that the stakes are higher for him from that vantage point, which is why I anticipate that Russian interference will persist. It's very rare that covert electoral interference operations start and end with a single election. The tradition here, as shown both by Russian and by the way CIA operations to interfere in elections, is that this these sorts of things last um, across decades um, to interfere in the same elections of uh, uh, to the, in the same country's electoral processes multiple times. However, I, I would say one qualification or one potential catch to your argument is that it's unclear how much Russia was motivated in 2016 by Vladimir Putin's personal animus for Hillary Clinton. Um, they had a very contentious relationship when she was at the State Department. He associated her um, with uh, the notion that she that someone might seek to undermine his own power, might seek to overthrow his own government because of the words that Hillary Clinton said in support of protesters in Russia in 2011. Um, so. I, in terms of the stakes, I, it, it does not seem that Putin interprets Joe Biden um, to be the sort of threat he saw Hillary Clinton as. And it is, again, important to remember that Vladimir Putin initiated his operation to interfere in the 2016 election in 2014, when Hillary Clinton was widely anticipated to be on her way to securing the Democratic nomination, but where no one really even anticipated that Donald Trump would run for president. So, So this was not initially at least, about Donald Trump. Um, so in terms of the stakes for Russia, yes, the stakes are higher because the Biden administration, I would expect, would launch a comprehensive policy response to the threat of Russian electoral interference. However, we just can't know how much Putin was motivated four years ago by Secretary Clinton's candidacy and whether with Joe Biden rather than Secretary Clinton as the candidate, um, he might feel less of a sense of urgency um, to ensure that, that Donald Trump secures a second term. How aware do you think the Trump people are, particularly in social media and digital, of this Russian involvement? Uh, surely, as they're managing their social media strategy, they must have been aware of what, maybe not what the Russians were doing, but they must have been aware of external forces uh, trying to shape and corrupt the process. Sure. I mean, I, I think there's ample evidence at this point that that some of what you said was certainly was certainly true. For example, Rick Gates, the deputy campaign manager to Donald Trump in 16, told federal investigators that when WikiLeaks released um, Democratic Party emails in the summer of 2016, the Trump campaign was elated. Um, they were they were excited by the release because the release would obviously um, help the candidacy of Donald Trump. There are other instances of sort of that awareness of what Russia was doing. But the, the, a, a key lesson of this history 
is that often that question of so-called, you know, collusion is sort of the wrong question because in, for example, in 1972, the East German Stasi and intelligence service launched an operation to keep Willy Brandt in power in West Germany. He was the chancellor there. And the Stasi made the intentional choice not to collude with Willy Brandt because they feared that if their operation were uncovered and Willy Brandt's cooperation with it were uncovered, that Brandt's legitimacy and career would collapse. So it often serves the interests of interfering actors like Russia not actually to coordinate with the individual they're seeking to help or the campaign they're seeking to help in order to protect that campaign were the operation to be uncovered as Russia's operation in 2016 was. So the, the question of collusion, it's, it's an important one, but it's by no means an essential one because you don't need to coordinate with the campaign in order to help that campaign. And oftentimes it's the smart decision not to coordinate with the campaign you're seeking to help. Well, shouldn't we be doing the reverse, David, in Russia? Shouldn't we be interfering in their process? I assume we are in terms of supporting dissidents and undermining Putin himself? Or are we much, we being the Americans, much less well-organized and focused, and I assume under Trump, probably not that interested in this sort of thing? Sure. I mean, I I think what should we be doing in Russia? I, I think what we can be doing and have been doing in Russia is overtly supporting initiatives that promote Russian democracy, things like the independent media, civic organizations that, um, that help Russia be a more free and open society, things like an election monitoring organization that prevents Vladimir Putin from, you know, rigging votes in his favor, or at least tries to. However, I don't think it's in America's interest to be covertly interfering in Russia's politics. Um, I think that if we get down in the mud um, with Russia, um, you know, as the saying goes, we both get dirty, but the pig wins. And I, I, I think that if we were to play that game with Russia and say that activity were uncovered, it would normalize what Russia is doing to us. It would undermine our standing in seeking to establish norms of behavior against the practice of covert interference in the politics of other nations. Um, and I think there are overt ways to achieve our objectives in Russia that don't involve things like, you know, deploying the CIA, which is a decision, by the way, in 1996, as I write in my book, that Bill Clinton decided not to do. When Russia was having an election, he decided not to authorize the CIA to interfere in Russia's election. And he explained in an interview that I conducted with him why, which was effectively just what I've been saying, that being open um, about our engagement in Russian politics um, is not only um, the method that aligns with our values, but it also aligns with our interests because if such activity were uncovered, um, it would um, undermine rather than advance um, what America is seeking to accomplish abroad. Finally, David, everyone should, of course, read your new book, Rigged America, Russia and 100 Years of Covert Electoral Interference, which is out this week. Um, but what else? Very briefly, should people be reading on Russia or the American-Russia relationship to make them uh, wiser about this incredibly complicated and important subject, particularly since we're all stuck at home, we've got nothing better to do than, than read books about Russia? I think I would recommend the first book that comes to mind is, is The Road to Unfreedom by Timothy Snyder, um, who's a professor at Yale um, and a close mentor of mine. And I believe that his work, especially in that book, The Road to Unfreedom, captures as well as any work yet um, Russia's aims abroad, how Russia is seeking to export its political model, um, not only to nearby states like Ukraine, um, but to states like the United Kingdom and the United States. 
um, and what the stakes are for democracies in seeking to defend against those sorts of attacks um, as we as we progress forward um, as a democracy in the 21st century in this new digital world which we now live in. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.